This, this is The Industry. A show built by the working class for the working class. If you have a job, this is the podcast for you. Here is your host, Levi Jett. Hey, welcome back to The Industry. My name is Levi Jett. So happy you could join us. Today's show is going to be a great one. As always, we have President of Caliber Service Management, Cecil Moore, joining us here a little bit later. Um, and we're also going to hear from the WeatherWorks team. And a question I'm going to ask Cecil is, uh, what is a world-class partnership? See, at Caliber, that's kind of the, the mantra of the company, so to speak, is world-class partnerships. And, you know, that's going to go from customers to employees to the service partner as well. And it's all about generating these world-class partnerships. And so we're going to get into what that even means, because to me it sounds pretty fancy to tell you the truth. World-class is is pretty high up there. Um, I'll tell you what's not world-class. And it's something that I'm seeing a lot early into the season. It happens every year. It's not really a surprise to me or to anyone else in the snow and ice industry. But you're, uh, I, I'm seeing it all over LinkedIn. I'm hearing about it from providers that I talk to. They're seeing it. And what it is is... Um, just a gross usage of salt for these events that happen early in the year that don't really even warrant the use of salt. Um, it is something that is absolutely just ridiculous. Um, in Indiana, you know, we've had maybe two or three shots of snow so far this year. Nothing stuck to the pavement. Nothing has even come close to sticking to the pavement. In fact, each of these instances, I believe the ground temp has been probably 10 degrees or warmer than 32 degrees. So the use of salt um, is really not advised. But I'm not even talking about whether you're using salt or not. This is for the provider going out there, salting the living hell out of these properties. Um, that's, that's a bad partnership. It's a bad partnership and it really, it really puts all snow providers in a bad light. You get, you know, bad PR from that by association. Because you're a snow contractor too. And really, it's to me, it's a malpractice sort of thing. If you're going out and the ground temps are 50 degrees, snow is falling but not sticking to untreated pavement, and your response to that is to go out and salt like an ice storm's coming. That tells me you really don't know 
what you're doing when it comes to snow removal. That tells your customer you don't know what you're doing when it comes to snow removal either. It tells them that, hey, they didn't get this pretty easy thing right. They should have hit a home run. So what else don't they know? And it kind of leads the mind to wonder from that point. What else do they are they not sure how to do beyond um, putting down just a little bit of salt, if that? And really, it should probably be a communication thing, right? To communicate to the customer, hey, what do you guys think? We got a chance for snow showers. Here's what we're seeing. What do you want from me? And if they're like, hey, salt the living hell out of it, then you still have a obligation to try to educate that customer a little bit. And if at the end of the day, they're not, they're not taking the hints, you know, they're not picking up what you're putting down, then all right, you know, customer service, do what they want. But I can't imagine too many customers out there um, you know, telling you just, Hey, go for it. Let it rip. Because it's not just that it stays on the pavement for forever. It's that now the customer has to deal with, uh, floor cleaning fees. You know, this is being tracked everywhere. It's killing their landscape. It's there for no reason. And really, when you look at partnerships, and especially if you're aspiring for a world-class partnership experience, um, yeah, this isn't the best way to get it done. See, your, your customer is thinking that you are a professional. Thinking that you know way more than they do about snow removal about de-icing, about snow and ice management. And when you get to a point where you're showing them, hey, I really don't know what I'm doing. You know, that's just kind of putting all the cards on the table. And to start doing things so early in the season to make a customer question are you really an expert? Did we make the right move in picking you? As a provider, you bring those types of questions to light and to you by doing things like this. And of course, we all know that it's typically not the seasonal contracts that get treated this way. It's the per push. It's the per occurrence. You know, oh, hey, I, I uh, came by and gave you salt, you know, 500 bucks. Really? Did I need it? When did it even snow? And that's the thing. A partnership. Trust. If it's per push, you're going to make your money. There's no reason to be greedy. And sometimes I wonder if it's greed or if it's just ignorance. Is it greed to go out 
insult when it's not warranted, but the amount of salt you're dropping can't really even be that cost effective either. Or is it an ignorance thing? Maybe they just don't know. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And (laughs) this is just another way the snow and ice management industry needs to grow up. Now, as I always say, these aren't blanket statements. I'm not attacking every provider out there. And the ones that are communicating during these uh, chances of snow, these snow showers, these flurries, they're communicating to their customers saying, hey, we're watching it, but we really don't think anything's needed. Kudos to you guys. You know, keep doing that sort of thing. That's what you need to do. But there are so many others that, for whatever reason, they just cannot. And I'll tell you another thing, too. Something that (laughs) this does, and I mean, you hear all the time that from providers, and this is across the board, this, I'm going to make it about snow, but it's really about so much more. Any arena where you have a subcontracting element to it or a service provider element to it. All these national management companies get such a bad reputation all the time. And really before it's even gets into um, because of pay or because of apps or um, because of anything like that, the first issue is that it comes in and undercuts the little guy, right? It, it takes some opportunity away, um, takes some of the juice out of those contracts. However, the, this example of applying way too much product when product probably isn't called for to begin with. Those types of practices opened the door for management companies to kick it in because they preach cost control. And when the provider gives that bill to the customer and it's outrageous because it's full of all these jacked up salt runs that really should have never happened. And then you look and you say, well, how often does that happen in other areas? This is just one area at the beginning of the season. How many times this guy's screwing me throughout the course of a season? That's where cost control comes in. That's where the management company that looks kind of appetizing to a customer. Because now we've got a management company and they aren't going to let that happen. They're only going to send out that provider when it's needed. And if they do something on their own, so be it. But they're not going to get paid for it. And 
that's kind of what it comes down to. This is one example of many that I could give that has helped the management companies, you know, find their niche. That's how they got in because of people who are essentially committing malpractice and charging out the, you know what, having no checks and balances. And this is just one example of that. And you get all the guys that, you know, want to whine and complain all the time about how management companies are ruining their business. And I'll just throw it out there. I'm not sure if you ever get back to the way that it used to be. But I know one thing's for damn certain. You know, as it does many times, it starts with you. You know, if you've got a customer that's direct and you're losing sleep over a management company coming in and getting in between you and that customer... My advice to you, and hey, at the end of the day, most of these decisions are at a, you know, national or a regional level um, and just kind of the overall portfolio, not usually store specific. However, my advice is to control what you can and do the best job you can. Don't be the provider That's out there to rape and pillage. You know, do a good job for what they're paying. Adhere to the scope of work. Be their partner. Educate them. Help them understand what you're doing. That's that's something that I'm so thankful for working with Caliber. Because such an emphasis is put on customer education and provider education. I have great conversations almost daily with my provider network. And the conversations are are built around how do we get better? What can we do better? You know, what is the industry standard? Because guess what? If you're not a SEMA member, you aren't signed up for um, the, what is it, the ASCA. If you don't participate in the Snowfighter Institute, um, you may not know what the industry standard is. So that's why it's so important to educate yourselves. And if you're listening and you work with a management company, hey, you need to educate your providers. When you get into season and they're acting a fool and they don't know what they're doing, that's not the time to educate because you're just not going to have the time to spend to educate them. It's right now. In Indiana today, it's 54 degrees right now. And the temperature just keeps climbing. Now is the perfect time to have conversations. At the end of the day, 
right? Everyone's going to do what they want to anyway. The providers who are subpar that practice malpractice, um, they're going to continue to do their thing. And it's going to continue to open the door for good providers to come in and steal your business. That's just, it's very matter of fact. That's what happens. And like I said in the beginning, we're going to talk to Cecil Moore here in just a couple of minutes and get his take on some of this and what it really means to have a world-class partnership um, and just what goes into that. Um, But I got to believe that it starts with, you know, really um, being there to have your customers back and dropping thousands of pounds of salt when it's 50 degrees outside is not having your customers back. So hang on tight. We're going to hear from WeatherWorks and Cecil Moore will be joining us on the flip side. Thank you, Levi. I'm meteorologist Brad Miller at WeatherWorks Consulting Meteorologists and the co-host of our very own podcast called The Weather Lounge. Today is Monday, December the 5th, and overall, not a lot of weather happening across the United States at the moment. High pressure is in control for the Northeast, but rain returns on Tuesday as low pressure slides across the Great Lakes. This same storm system is forecast to produce heavy rain and possibly even some flooding for parts of the Southeast. Meanwhile, any type of wintry weather still remains out west and in the Rockies as the overall pattern hasn't really changed all that much from last week. And while last Monday I was talking about perhaps a trend to colder weather east of the Mississippi later this week, that looks to be delayed as any Arctic air will stay over the northern plains and again out west. This means things will stay relatively mild for early December from the Midwest to New England. There will be one system to watch Friday into Saturday from the Ohio Valley to the Mid-Atlantic, but outside of maybe some higher elevation wintry mix, the precipitation with the system looks to be predominantly rain. Beyond that, next weekend looks mainly seasonable across the country with limited snow or rain. However, we continue to see signs that there will be a fairly significant pattern change across the U.S. as we head into the middle of the month as a negative NAO likely sets up. This usually lends to a digging east coast trough while a ridge builds across the western states. And while this type of pattern doesn't guarantee snow, it will likely result in colder weather and a more active pattern maybe as we head into the holidays, one that could see a greater risk for coastal storms and maybe a nor'easter. So fingers crossed northeast snow lovers, hopefully we'll see a change to colder weather in the next one to two weeks. Levi, back to you. Thank you so much for that update from WeatherWorks. They are absolutely the best to partner with. Always great information and great content. Now we uh, shift everything over to welcoming President Cecil Moore from Caliber Service Management. Cecil, so happy you could join us. And and really my... uh, my play here is to not say something where I get fired. <laughs> I think you're pretty good, Levi. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, thank you. It's great to be with you. Um, we're super, super excited, to, one, for you to be a part of our team, but two, uh, just really, really impressed with you putting yourself out there and everything you're doing and really glad to be a part of it. Now, me personally, I'm, I'm, 
I'm excited. So uh, you're welcome, and uh, look forward to just kind of having a chance to chop it up with you a little bit. Um, and uh, also want to make sure I say congrats on your success, and and wish you nothing but continued progress with your, you know, your your personal goals as well. So. I really appreciate hearing that, sir. I really do. Um, so, all right. Not everyone is going to know Cecil Moore. Um, give us the the two minute backstory, the down and dirty of Cecil Moore, and um, you know how you got to be a caliber eventually. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, a pretty simple story, Levi. I'm a blue collar kid from you know suburban Philadelphia. Um, family. My, my dad was a truck driver. My mom was a factory worker, right? Um, learned early on in life that you know, if you wanted to get something or get, you had to kind of earn it, right? And uh, so early on in life, I was always a kid who kind of had a job and worked and really just uh, just had a, a sort of a hunger and a pursuit to just find opportunity. Uh, education wasn't something that was a big part of my household, um, really was an hourly employee. So uh, that's kind of with my initial upbringing. I have a, you know, I'm currently have a beautiful wife and three kids and, you know, and, and just a real kind of a, a, a simple home life. But uh, through that, through that upbringing, Levi, uh, I had a chance to always work. And uh, I've always kind of figured out that the more I work, the more I show up, the more opportunity or more I find. And uh, you know, so throughout, you know, even at the age of 12, bagging groceries or working in a nursery or whatever it might be, and just always stayed busy. Um, but along the way, after high school, I, uh, I continued to, to work and find just some really great experiences. And, and I worked everything from uh, a um, startup, a lot of startup companies, a startup chemical transportation company where I worked with a great guy, Scott Johnson, a mentor who just kind of helped show me the way to build a business and work with people. I've worked with uh, a startup flooring company that wanted to create longer you know, consistency, year-round relationship with their customers. And I had a chance to work with a great guy, Matt Wagner, there, who really mentored and allowed me to learn and build a business under his mentorship. Um, I worked with um, uh, another group um, who, for 13 years, I built a big blue-collar service company, everything from you know emergency response to the janitorial demolition and construction. And again, I had a chance to lead and really earn my way into that organization, eventually having seven unique brands with about 350 people reporting to me. And it was just a an incredible experience, but also another great mentor, John Allen. Um, and then I went on to uh, work with some real estate. I had a chance to work with one of the best real estate companies in the you know, their national group, but really a uh, just a tremendous organization that invited me in and allowed me to really understand how to be a client. Um, so I, I did that for about three years. Again, met some incredible people, had some incredible mentorship, um, and and then moved on to. I'm a guy who's you know has a lot of passion and purpose. Um, and, you know, that was an awesome experience, but it wasn't enough entrepreneurial opportunity for me. Um, so then I moved on to run national sales for a, a pretty recognized national service company. Uh, had great success there um, and uh, really liked it, but it was, it was PE owned. And uh, I had a hard time really uh, adjusting my passion and purpose to transactional kind of experience. And sure. So, um, and then I uh, eventually, you know, landed here at Caliber and, uh, you know, I've had a chance, I've known a lot of these, the, the core group of the Caliber team members for, for quite some time. Um, but really, you know, I would tell you that my background, my experience is I'm a hardworking blue collar kid from the suburbs of Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, I believe that, you know, through experience in life and, and just a, a purpose, you can really continue to achieve whatever you want to achieve. And so that's kind of my background, nothing real glamorous, no 
no uh, special university or anything besides the hard, a lot of hard work and effort, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, no, it's a great answer. And, you know, I couldn't agree more that, you know, really the, just the more you put yourself out there, the more work um, you do, the more you're at work, the more opportunity you're going to get. Um, that's, that's very well said. It's a heck of so, a lesson, Levi. It's a heck of a lesson to cut you off. I mean, that's, listen, oh, yeah. people, um, life is hard, man. And, and the more you, you, you put yourself out there, the more you show up, the more you really believe in your own ability and, and don't settle. Um, you know, I think there's, there's ripe opportunity for most. Couldn't agree more. So looking at the, the title of president, um, <laughs> You know, I think everybody growing up, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old, whatever, um, you know, they have a kind of an idea of what they want to be um, later on down the line. But what is kind of that title meant to you um, personally? I mean, you know, a, a achieving a title like president, obviously not talking president of the United States, but I think most people would agree that, you know, right underneath that is president of caliber. So <laughs> that's very flattering. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Now it's been, it's been obviously it's a, it's a tremendous honor. Um, you know I don't know I wouldn't call it an arrival because I don't view it as a an entitlement to be in charge. I really view it as a responsibility and obligation. Uh, I'm certainly really really excited and grateful, and my life continues to improve just through hard work. But I don't view president as a entitlement to be a dictator. I view it as really an honor and obligation, responsibility to help continue to lead. And, you know, throughout my life and throughout my career, Levi, I've always tried to push myself forward and, and help lead and, and, and operate without direction and really intent. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, the title of President of Caliber is, is, is awesome. It's incredible. It's an honor. It's, a, it's prestige. But really, for me, it's obligation, it's responsibility, and it's purpose and intent to, to help create a, a, an infinite organization that that we as a community can really all you know benefit from and not just the president so it's awesome it's an honor but it's uh, nothing's really changed it's it's kind of keep pushing forward man yeah no that, that's that's awesome i think that titles so often are viewed as destinations yeah. um which they shouldn't be you know i mean to me it's kind of like the uh you know, the idea of excellence, you know, excellence isn't a destination. It's a daily thing in and out um, to be able to, uh, to be excellent. So, yeah. All right. So kind of along with excellence, um, the title of world-class is a pretty hefty title. Um, and I mentioned earlier in the episode, you know, that kind of the mantra at Caliber is world-class partnerships, creating world-class partnerships. Um, so do you feel that the partnerships at Caliber are worthy of such a title? Lofty, lofty statement, right? I mean, we're putting ourselves out there, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big statement. It's a bold statement. Um, and, and I do, and let me tell you why, um, but before I tell you, I want to make sure that I'm clear really on what our intention of partnership or who's included with partnership. You know, partnership for me isn't just client, right? Partnership is you. It's it's our organization. It's our people. It's really a now allowing, including, and and solving. Partnership is is our service partners. It's the people we do business with, right? It's making sure that they have an equitable stake and a, and a reasonable respect in the relationship. Partnership is our vendors, right? Suppliers. They're all partners, right? Uh, and so I view partnership all the way down to the, the gentleman on the mower for me, or 
the person in a plow truck that could be in Indianapolis. Or, and so I think that's an important kind of understanding that partnership go for us goes well beyond client and it's really organizational partnership. And now with that, uh, Levi, there's a lot of bad companies out there, man. There's a lot of bad people out there. There's a lot of bad business. There's a lot of bad clients, a lot of bad customers, customers, contracts. And so what for us, world-class partnership really means being the right partner, right? The right partner. Yes. And, and the right partner, Levi, in our mind, in my mindset, is really somebody who's committed to equitable outcomes for all stakeholders, right? Because if we can achieve and we can really build something that is beneficial to all, that's a partner, right? Partnership for me, again, is somebody who is willing to clarify, who communicates, the right partner, clarifies, communicates, is willing to support and, and ultimately help solve, sometimes where it might be not in our best interest, but a right partner is somebody who can believe in and really line up with. The right partner is also willing to innovate, right? Challenge yesterday and commit to tomorrow, right? And, uh, you know, and, and really establishing mutually beneficial growth and opportunity, Levi. It's really the right partner, right? The right partner, in my opinion, is somebody who is willing to honor the scope of work and the program that we're supposed to be providing to the customer and the client and the payment to the service partner or my inter our internal team or the hourly salary or whatever it might be. The right partner is committed to the honor of doing things correctly, right? Now, there's always going to be exceptions. There's going to be things that happen that, that might require a, a slight miss and then, a, then a sort of a realignment. But the right partner is willing to adapt and change and really understand special consideration. And so for me, for us, for Caliber, the right partner, which we believe so much in, is a world-class partner. And so for us, we believe that we are a world-class partner because we're so committed to being the right partner. And that's a, you know, that's a, that's a bold statement, but, but again, I'm really, really proud and we're very committed to being the right partner. Yeah, no, such a great answer. And I, I couldn't agree more with there, there's so many out there that um, they just don't understand the, the foundations, the fundamentals of a partnership. Uh, you know, I always say that, hey, a partnership doesn't mean you're constantly giving someone good news over and over and over again. Sometimes there's bad news. Sometimes there's indifferent news. And but having a true partnership means that they're taking in all things, all things into consideration. And um, yeah, it's tremendous what the uh, what the outlook is for the company based on those statements. Yeah, thank you. And, and, I, and we, it's who we are, man. I mean, we we want to make sure that we are doing things the right way. And once in a while, again, things happen where it doesn't go the right way, but we have a responsibility in being the right partner to help solve it. And sometimes that requires us to, to, to eat crow, right? And that's just, but, but that's our commitment to world-class partnership. We want to be the partner of choice. We want to be the, the company that companies want to do business with. We want to be the company that team members want to come work for. We want to be a company that really has world-class partnership in all aspects of the organization. So what sets Caliber apart from other service management companies out there, in your opinion? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, right? Um, a lot of service companies out there, and there seems to be more and more on a daily basis. Um, I think first and foremost, we're in the business, right? We're in the business. We have an integral understanding, an integral understanding of the de definition of service. 
We understand what it means to serve because we serve. We have a full-blown landscaping division. We have a full-blown construction division. We have a full-blown snow operations division. We have a, an incredible maintenance and building engineer department. We have an IFM janitorial that actually conduct and do the work. So through that core familiarity, um, it really, I think, positions us and enables us to actually what it takes to serve. We're also very fortunate to have some incredible people in our organization that bring a lot of competency and expertise in, in various industries that, again, make us a very trusted service partner. I think a lot of companies out there really are, are transactional contract focused and lack the competency of the service they're trying to provide. And ultimately, it discounts or diminishes it. So I think that we are a smart, we are a familiar, we are an experienced company that provides local, regional self-perform, provides co-delivery, provides national sponsored service. But through the well, the DNA of that is our own ability and our own familiarity of how to serve. Um, I think I'd like to also call out that we own and operate a full equipment dealership, supply house, right? So other company aggregators that might be out there, again, may be interested in the, oper- the revenue. We're interested in the opportunity. We're interested in building the relation, the business, the program, but we're also make, interested in, in making sure it's equipped, and by owning a full uh, rental and equipment house, that allows us to introduce strategic partnerships. It allows us to make sure that people are told up. It may allow us to do some things that are a little more unique, and so that we think that's another incredible advantage. The other thing I'll tell you is we believe, I said this, but we believe a lot in innovation and data. We want to understand. We want to learn from ourselves. We want to learn from history, weather. We want to learn from risk. And so we're really, really committed to continuing to evolve our organization through being a smarter company and not just buying it less than what it was yesterday or not just, you know, not just trying to figure out a way to cheat, cheat the system, but really how can we provide better impact? And so I think, you know, they're all really differentiators. I'll take the last one, Levi, which I think is a really important one. And this is hard for a lot of companies to say, but I refuse to let my or our ego get in the way of any situation, right? And so ego for me is a, is a very negative thing. And I think a, a lot of presidents or CEOs have ego. I think a lot of companies have ego. And, and our ego is, is, is non-existent, right? It's a problem. So I will tell you that that's another major thing for us is we operate without ego. Yeah, no, very important um, to all those points. And... To me, it's really about, you know, you you don't have to build fast. You need to build right. Um, That's how you're going to be able to sustain the success. And I think a lot of what you just said are are exact reasons that, you know, anybody out there should be looking to do business with Caliber um, because we're going to continue to grow the right way. So a question that I kind of came up with, I'm not really sure the validity of it, but do you believe that there are threats to our industry? And if you do, what, what are some you came up with? Yeah, great question. Right, great question. Yeah, absolutely there's threats, right? I mean, well, and there's threats not only to the industry, Levi, but there's threats in life right now, right? We're in a really unique position. And not to get, you know, that's just a, as a father of three, and it's just a weird time, right? And so I look at threats that impact life that now impact industry. And if human is getting going through a very unique time. It's it no matter what way you look at, it, there's a trickle in effect of how businesses, including landscaping snow in our industry, any business is being impacted. So I want to make sure I call out and understand the 
that there's things that are different these days. Um, you know, but listen, we, for us, we're a service company. We're a people organization. We're a people company. Labor is, continues to be very, very delicate. It continues to be, it continues to be uh, harder and harder to find, attract, and retain great people. There's less people in it. So I would tell you, labor is going to continue to impact the FM, the service, the industry. It's going to be a problem. And so we, you as a group, you better figure out a way to commit, to retain, to recruit, to, pro, to, to provide, to find good people. You also better figure out a way to optimize or create better efficiencies in your organization because labor is a problem. No challenge, Levi is liability, risk, and compliance, right? And that's a pretty broad word, but you know, risk is, is a major challenge. Um, obviously, insurance costs and litigations are out of control, right? Um, I feel like uh, it's severely impacting the industry because it's putting good companies out of business, and it's also preventing other companies from coming into business. And, you know, and a, a big portion of this national support that companies provide really rely on great owner-operators, People who, are, who, have a, who have an interest in really providing a, a, a solid you know, opportunity and value for the family, and they work hard every day. But the barrier of, of litigation and insurance and compliance becoming so monumental that it's putting some of those great people out of business. And it's also preventing the young, inspiring person to get into business. So I think that's a major threat, right? I think we've got to figure out a way to solve that or, or soften it because... All we're doing is continuing to reduce resource and really provide future opportunity. Um, you know, inflation, Levi, is a big one right now, right? Uh, you know, I think, I don't know, I don't know much. I can't tell you from a financial expert what it means, but I can tell you the dollar is worth less and everything costs more, right? Yep. And, and so as supplies become more limited and there's really no understanding of correction in, in, in you know, in in place, there's lots of uncertainty. So I view that as a risk to the industry, right? The other thing I'll tell you, and this is a big one, this is, I'm gonna put myself out there with this one a little bit, but I think analysis paralysis is becoming a threat to the industry. As financial and, and cost savings initiatives continue to impact and influence really the value of service, Levi, I think that often creates more commoditization and that becomes a threat to the industry, right? Because if the value of service is strictly a spreadsheet or a cost, and it really doesn't align with the effort it takes to be successful, that is detrimental to you and I and to this industry. And so I think that also then contributes to the wrong partner, right? Earlier, we talked about the world-class part of the right partner. Well, a threat is if finance and cost savings and all this commoditization continues to happen, all that does is welcome in or require more companies to be the wrong partner. Yeah, that's something you see a lot, um, unfortunately. And, you know, it's across a lot of different industries. It's just the wrong people being in the wrong places. And I hate it personally because to me, you know, if if one provider is doing a bad job or two providers are doing a bad job, that kind of gives us all a bad name because we're all thrown into the same thing. And... You know, to me, it's just, to me, it goes back to customer education. You know, like they, you have to be educated on what you're spending money on. Um, Sure that, you know, there's ways to control costs and to cut back some, uh, but (laughs) I I, I just don't know that the way it's currently going, 
if it's the smartest way to go. Yeah, we we and it's it's tough because unfortunately, again, the value of service is is really measured on the cost on a balance sheet these days, and not the impact of the site. And uh, you know, so we continue with Caliber. Continue to, you know, for us, we want to make sure we're working with the right person, the right partner. We want to make sure that we our value, our our services of value to the organization. Um, and we want to make sure that we're we're not um, really just being a transactional company, you know. And uh, and so that's why I can really tell you, there, you know, it's um, it's a very unique time. Sure. So you mentioned labor being one of the threats. So I've heard it from other people, really about the snow and ice industry, um, but I would even broaden it to just facility management overall. To me, I, I kind of think it's a hidden industry. And I'll tell you why. You know, coming into this industry, I, I never really gave too much thought about what a company does, what a warehouse does, what a Walmart does, whatever, when they need a plumber or they need an electrician or snow removal or whatever. And then, you know, to, to come into this world and realize, hey, you know, there's, a, there's an actual industry dedicated to this. Um, I, you know, I'm just not sure how many kids in high school, juniors and seniors are saying, hey, I'm going to go get this four-year degree and I'm going to, you know, the facilities management industry, you know. Um, so what is your recruiting message on behalf of facilities management or even, you know, just yeah. snow um, to those, again, to those looking for a career or maybe they're in another industry and looking for a change? Yeah, no, great, great question. And again, I, I'm, you know, I'm proud to tell you, uh, education is, is really super important. I was a straight out of high school, straight to the work, you know, actually in middle school, whatever it was. And so um, don't want to discount the value of education because I believe wholeheartedly in it. But I, I recognize uh, that there's a, a lot of ways to, to really make a great living in this, in this world. Um, so what I would really tell you, and we, we spend a lot of money and time on recruiting, but I would really say the facilities management industry is, and service industry is, is, is worth billions and billions of dollars a year, right? There's billions of dollars every day in this industry. There's so much headroom in this facilities management world to impact, to innovate, to optimize, to improve, right? It's an untapped, unripe, it's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's a, an industry that has so much headroom, right? And it's looking for incredible people to come in and help move it forward. Um, I think that you know there's there's another way. So that's a, that's a one is the economic impact and current state of the industry is ripe. The other thing I'll tell you is there's one thing in life I know, and they're not going to make any more land in this world, right? You can't. Yep. There's, there's no manufacturer making any more land, and so land and properties will always one require service and care, but they will always be of value. And people have to, will always continue, for the most part, to take care of their resources and their assets. So it's a very, in my opinion, stable business industry where there's, sure. there's always going to be land. There's always going to be buildings. And good companies, right partners, will always attract those, business, those opportunities. And here's really the last part, really maybe the most important part. There's incredible honor in being a tradesman. There's incredible honor, right? It's a dying skill. Um, and so we talked earlier about all the different roles, and you know whether you're a, a CFO or, or you're a controller or you're a director of training or you're a director of field operations or you're the guy on the mower or the girl on the mower. 
again, there's tremendous roles, but there's also tremendous honor in being a tradesman. And yes. I think it's a dying skill. And I think the more people kind of recognize that opportunity and, and earn and, and, and really come and commit to being tradesmen, I think the wage scale is going to continue to go up. I think that people who are interested in getting in the service sector have a, an opportunity, a future that is, is bright and well compensated because people who have the skill are worth incredible amounts of money. And, That's right. And they're, it's a dying breed. So I'm a big advocate of tradesmen. I'm a big advocate of technical school. I'm a big advocate of, of, any, of any service or, or trade or, 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 or skill development. And, and with that being said, I will tell you, once you get a skill, a trade skill, and again, there's, there's transferable opportunity in this business, my business, any business in the world, there's transferable opportunity. But once you have a core competency, a skill, you're invaluable. You'll always have the opportunity. Oh, yeah. So... Um, that would really be my my message or my my recruiting um, is to is to get involved because it's ripe and you have a chance to really do something that's that's awesome. Yeah, no. If if you're able to get into a trade and and get that training and the education, you'll never have to worry about work again. Um, you know, I, I know a few years back, well, many years back now, you know, I went into plumbing and only had you know year, year and a half in the trade, but I know that, you know, if, if I absolutely needed something, I could go right back into it because of just a little bit of knowledge that I do have um, is always going to be in demand. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, people these days are becoming less and less self-doers, right? And so um, as the population continues to grow and become, people become less skilled as far as general, you know, maintenance, FM, whatever, uh, also, I'm very much in a commercial and industrial setting as well, but that is only going to create more value and more opportunity and more livelihood for those that are, you know, doers. Yeah. So, COVID did a lot of things to the world, um, mostly bad. One of the things that I think that it did was it made companies everywhere kind of figure out, is it a necessity that people are in an office or can we do this from their house? And so this remote worker function or not function, um, uh, concept, you know, spread rapidly, uh, really across the world. Um, what is your stance on remote workers that perform like non field type of job functions? Yeah. So I think, uh, again, recognizing what you said, the world is changing, right? Um, I think that we are an organization that continues to explore the right balance between in-office and remote workers. Uh, we currently have a, you know, a team of 15 or 20 people that are remotely based already in, throughout the United States. Um, but as far as non-production, non-position, we're, really, we're, we're very much exploring it. And we're, we're, we continue to recognize that it's a requirement to attract good, talented people. We also believe that we have to invest in technology that enables that, right? And so as an organization, I mentioned we want to be smart. We want to continue to invest in platforms, technology, and process that can be universally um, you know, used anywhere in the country. Um, and so uh, I will tell you that we are a group that continues to explore it. 
We're a group that recognizes the importance of it. We're a group that is going to continue to adjust our process or our position on it. In the past, we were certainly a company that believed to come into the building and we'll see on every day, and but we just realize sure. it's not the reality anymore. So I, we're moving towards it. We're recognizing it. Um, I think there's always going to be roles that require or times that may require that remote individual to come in for to a, a quarterly or a biannual discussion or meeting. Um, but but something that we, we recognize we're into and we're, we're exploring. Yeah, you know, I always say that it's not for everybody. Um, it, it takes someone who's disciplined to be able to work at home and not, you know, find themselves sitting on the couch watching TV or whatever. Um, and, and I believe, too, that it, it it only fits certain positions. Some positions need to be in the office every day, and there's really no way around that. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that COVID really kind of showed us, hey, there's there's a lot of positions out there, though, that don't have to be in the office. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, another another kind of important mindset that I, I have um, and this group has is, um, Levi, we're not interested in micromanaging people, right? Uh, we want people who provide impact and contribute. And whether I see you in front of me or whether I see you in India or whether I see you in Chicago or whoever, wherever they might be based, my expectation is that as a group, we have a common goal to be the right partner and pursue it. And so I am open to um, really enabling the right people to work with us wherever that may be. But sure. it's a journey. It's a process. It's something that we're not there yet on, but we're really certainly exploring and will continue to, to I guess, adopt. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, I'll let you go here in just a second. Before I do... A question that every guest must answer is what advice would you give someone earlier in their professional journey than you? Absolutely. And yeah. Thank you for asking the question. Appreciate to be kind of part of this. Uh, so I'm going to throw a couple at you, right? Um, I think, and these are, some of these might be just common, but some of these are things that I've used in my life that really helped me move forward. And I think the first one is to be willing to listen, to learn and listen. You have to learn and listen. You've got to pursue experience. You've got to put yourself out there, but you've got to experience in order to learn and have knowledge. And I think it's really important for people to listen and learn and put themselves out there. I think another one is, is accept and understand and be able to work with other perspectives. So your own mindset or way you feel about something, you could have an incredible background on it, but sometimes there might be two right answers. And I think objective people are willing to have healthy debate successful people are willing to have healthy discussion, right? And so I think it's incredibly important that people are willing to listen to other perspectives. There's a lot of people who need to hear that. <laughs> I agree, man. I agree. Here's another one, right? Pretty simple. Keep showing up. You got to keep showing up, man. You, you, you can't, it's nothing's going to happen unless you show up. And despite things getting hard or tough, that's just the next opportunity for you to push through something. And it doesn't mean it's, a, it's forever, but you got to show up. You gotta you gotta put your heart into it, and you gotta make sure that you learn from it, and don't be afraid to fail. But you gotta keep showing up, right? A couple more. Um, I mentioned this too: is don't let your ego get in the way of your future. Yep. Right. I've learned a lot, man. I've had some great opportunities in the past where I burned myself up, where I was killing it and crushing it, and we were going and and we were on a rocket ship. But I, my ego wasn't wasn't right, right? And so I would tell people who want to grow and go. Keep your ego in check. I think another one is um, find great mentors. Mentors are really important to people's pro progression in life. 
And there's not enough mentors out there. But sometimes mentors come in different areas. They don't necessarily be in your career, your job. They could be a, a, a family friend. They could be somebody you know at the gym. They could be, and so really be willing to, to and pursue and align with a mentor and ask them tough questions here, tough questions. Right. I think the last thing, Levi, I'll leave you with is, um, is my, really probably my biggest asset is operate with pace, right? Pace. That's a really important thing that separates people. Are you operating with pace or are you kind of just with the pack? And I think I would encourage people who want to be successful to operate with pace and, and equally as important, grind. Grind. You got to grind, man. There's no free handouts in this world. I, everything in life comes through hard work and effort. Usually that's worth having. And if you operate with pace and you're willing to grind, you're going to get there. 100%. Um, in the Army, we always said move with a purpose. And, uh, yeah, no, for, for sure. Consistency, everything you're talking about, um, that's, that's great advice for people younger on in life, uh, young people, people, you know, again, before, um, not quite there in their journey. Definitely really good words to listen to. Um, so thankful you could join us today, Cecil. Really appreciate you coming on, and uh, you've been a great guest. Absolutely, Levi. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for being part of our team and, and look forward to just a, an awesome future with you, man. So thank you. Well, there you have it. Cecil Moore from Caliber Service Management. Um, really great interview, really great content. Um, his message from beginning to end was just awesome um, and, and really should provide a lot of value to people out there, um, consistently, consistency, hard work, showing up every day. Um, that, that that's really what it's about. You know, the, the shortcuts in life don't come just handed down to you. Um, shortcuts from life, you know, shortcut is, you know, you're showing up every day, busting your ass from nine to five for a couple of years. And then because you came to work one day and someone else messed up, now you may have an opportunity that presents itself to be promoted or to take another job. But you would have never had that opportunity had you not shown up every single day. That's that's what it comes down to um, is just that level of consistency. If you want to be great at something, be great at consistency. So that about does it for this episode of the industry. As always, if you have any questions or general inquiries for the show, please email me at Levi at JetFacilityConsultants.com. That's J-E-T-T FacilityConsultants.com. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Industry, a show built by the working class for the working class. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. While you're at it, help us spread the word by leaving a rating and review.